The title of the message is The Keys to Contentment. And we want to focus in on two phrases that are found in verse 11. We want to go back there and then just nail it in verse 13. So I want you to find the phrase here uh, in verse 11, not that I speak in regard to need, uh, for I have learned in whatever state I am. Okay, I've learned whatever state I am. That's one of the first phrase. I've learned in whatever state I am. To, then the second phrase is to be content. And then he goes on to say in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We want to pull those together. Okay, you may have a seat at this time. How many of you had a curiosity when you were a kid, you played with a yo-yo? Could you raise your hands? I, I, seriously, I want to see it. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about, right? You have this string attached to your finger, and uh, it's tied to a little axle with two discs and stuff. And I don't know why it is, but it seemed to me like looking back in my childhood, you know, playing with a yo-yo just came to fruition and front and center, what, when you're like third or fourth grade, everybody's just playing with a yo-yo, right? And a yo-yo, of course, is always in motion. It is up. It is down. I mean, sometimes you can like drop it and then you just like pull it up a little bit like a little fishing pole and then you get it just like hang there a little bit and it's spinning. I don't even know how it does that. But anyways, it's just hanging there. And then you might do a loop diddy loop You guys tracking with me on this? Okay, right? And it's all these different things. And then sometimes it just gets entangled. It's just like, it just gets funky. I don't even know how it gets that way, but it does. And so you need to just drop it. And then it unwinds. This is bringing back any memories and things. Okay, why am I talking about a yo-yo? Because our lives are like a yo-yo, that's why. The reality is, life is like a yo-yo. It is up and down. Sometimes it's static, and we think, okay, oh, I'm going to get a breath here. Awesome. Everything is kind of freeze-framing. And then, uh uh-oh, no, it's down, it's up, it is all around. And it even entangles. Life is a way of piling up on us. Let me ask you, on the yo-yo of life, where are you right now? Would you say it's kind of like, to be honest with you, man, I'm kind of on a downward trajectory. I mean, there's some unique challenges we're facing. Others like, hey, I got to tell you, I'm out of the downward trajectory. Things are a little bit more even keeled. The yo-yo is kind of suspended there. Uh, okay, I got news. It's not going to be long that things are going to change. Some are thinking, okay, I'm in an upward trajectory. Some may be like you're in this loop-de-loop type of thing. Your head is spinning. Well, here's the reality. The reality is, is that our lives are like a yo-yo, and it's either up or it's down. Sometimes it's a little static. Sometimes we're in a tangled position. Psychology Today reports an article entitled Contentment, What You Can't Find in a Pill, and they cite research that the use of antidepressants rose 400% in the U.S. in less than a decade. And they cite, as a society, we are mired in a get-well-quick mentality that treats complex emotions like a Betty Crocker cake mix, a right-out-of-the-box approach that quick and easy but minimizes the pleasure and the importance of finding out what's really cooking, so to speak, to cause a person's suffering. What is they, What are they saying there? They're, they're saying really that life is up and down. Life has a tendency to become entangled. Life has a tendency to pile up 
and we are looking for quick solutions to kind of untangle, to like, you know, get out of that piled up place. And we've all been there, have we not? I mean, Paul certainly understood the yo-yo experience, the major ups and downs, the one who penned this. By the way, he's writing from prison, and it's not any ordinary prison. He's been in a few prisons. He happens to be in the compound of the most authoritative, powerful man on human or on, 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 on planet Earth. We're talking the emperor himself. And this guy does not like Christians. He's going to spread a rumor that Christians have started a fire in Rome. Blame it on Christians. And he hates Jews. I mean, like he is going to end up standing in front of the most powerful, ungodly man on the planet at that particular time. And if you pan back the picture in Paul's life, I'm just telling you, it's like up and down, up and down, loop, static, up and down. It is all around. This guy knows a little bit of what it's like to be on a yo-yo. I mean, if you just pan back the picture and like look from he wrote when he wrote this to the last three or four years, you're talking about he was almost torn apart in Jerusalem by a mob, but ended up arrested by Roman authorities because while he was a Jew, he was a Roman uh, a citizen. And, and, and yet it all started because of real fake news. The fake news that Paul had brought a non-Jew into the Jewish court in Jerusalem, which was punishable by death. And someone floated and said, hey man, the Paul guy that believes in Yeshua is the Messiah is going throughout the known world, making the Lord God of Israel, the Messiah of Israel, so accessible to non-Jews. Oh man, he's gone way too far. He comes back to Jerusalem and he brings a non-Jew into the Jewish court. Really, and some guy spreads a total lie. It's misinformation. And he spreads this about Paul and the mob ascends upon him. And seriously, man, they almost murder him on top of the temple mount. And you have Roman authorities coming in, of course, the rescuing. He makes appeal basically like, man, just speeding up the story. I want to go to Caesar. I want to explain this. I want to explain this because look, man, there's the Lord God of Israel and there's the king. The true king is the Messiah, the savior of the world. It's not the emperor. And I want to stand before the emperor himself and I want to tell the truth, nothing but the truth. So help me, God. I'm just kind of tired of this and I just want to go straight to the top, man. I want to just tell my case to the emperor himself. But if you just check out his life, it's like one minute, he's fired up. He gets to Jerusalem during Pentecost. The next minute, people are plotting his death. The next minute, he's in you know, hands of Roman soldiers. The next minute, he's stripped of liberty. He's marginalized in his life. He no longer can be amidst the missionary trails. And yet, he's pinning letters like we are reading this morning. I mean, even though his life gets really marginalized, actually, his ministry, his influence actually gets bigger and bigger and bigger. He, he doesn't allow his circumstances to dictate his sense of strength and usefulness. Really beautiful thing. And you would think, you would think that Paul in this letter from Rome, in prison, listen, you would think he would be talking about justice. You think that he would write about justice here. You think that he'd say, let me just tell you something, my brothers and sisters, like when there's injustice, there's a terrible breakdown. And I've experienced it. People lied about me. That's why I'm in prison in the first place. And ultimately, he's going to be put to death by the emperor. But that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about justice. He's talking about freedom. 
A man in prison is talking about freedom. How, how he has learned to thrive despite the yo-yo experiences in life. He's talking about freedom. He's talking, not talking about justice. Listen to this. In the amplified version, kind of a paraphrase of this passage, just listen to this. Paul writes, I have learned how to be content, satisfied to the point where I'm not disturbed or disquieted in whatever state I am. So if the yo-yo's going down, it's like, man, I'm good. If the yo-yo's going up, I've learned I'm good because I got this, I got this infusing of strength because of the Lord Jesus, because he indwells me, because I'm his kid. And my mind is like caught up with that reality. I'm good. I'm doing really good. I've learned whatever state to, to just learn to be content. I know how to be a base I, and live humbly in straightened circumstances. I know how to enjoy plenty and live in abundance. I have learned in any, in all circumstances, the secret of facing every situation, whether well-fed or going hungry, having a sufficiency and enough to spare or going without and being in want. I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Hey, you know what he's saying there? He's actually saying there is something in life that is better than happiness. It's true. No, I'm not so sure, man. Happiness is like top of the, you know, the charts and stuff. Well, happiness is awesome, but happiness is the combination of the right circumstances plus how you're feeling. I mean, in fact, you could be in Hawaii in great circumstances, but if you're nauseous and you're sick and you're not feeling good, then you're not going to be happy. So it has to be kind of a combination of circumstances plus feelings. And here's the thing, is a lot of people live their life based upon how they feel. So in other words, if they're feeling good, then things are good. And if they're not feeling good, then things are not good, right? And that means, therefore, that the yo-yo is dictating the terms. And here's, here's the thing. You never see Paul saying, I can do all things. By controlling my circumstances, that's my strength. He doesn't say that. He's just saying, man, I've been on a yo-yo. It's been incredible the last three or four years. And yo the yo-yo is not dictating my sense of well-being. I can do all things through what? Christ who strengthens me. I love that. Look, look here in verse 11. Paul uses the word content. What does it mean when he uses the word content there? I want you to look up here for a second. I want you to just kind of imagine there's three chairs there's one chair here, there's another chair here, and then there's the, the third chair. And so let me just say, you're either sitting in one of these three chairs. And through a Hebraic biblical lens, when a person sits down, it speaks of a sense of identity, okay? So it's like whatever chair you in, you're in speaks of a sense of identity, what your purpose is, what your state of mind is, where your heart is, and so forth. Well, like Paul uses this word content, you go back 2,000 years ago, you have Stoic philosophers. They are in, in this chair. They've sat down. They'll talk to you about contentment. I've experienced contentment. Contentment is about self-mastery. It is about living a disciplined life. 
It's not allowing your emotions to go crazy. It's not allowing your bodily drives to drive you in some extreme. So, like, so in other words, pull up your bootstraps. The Stoics would say, I can do all things through myself who strengthens me. Okay, that's the typical understanding of being content through Greek philosophy, right? Now, this chair is where most Americans are sitting. And this is the chair where they say, okay, contentment is based upon the right circumstances lining up and having the right possessions. That contentment is based upon circumstances and based upon possessions. Unless I have the right circumstances lining and the right possessions, I'm not going to be content. And someone asked Howard Hughes, the multimillionaire years ago, how much does it take for a man to be happy? And he answered, just a little more. So it's like, okay, Howard, I'm going to ask you this again in four months. How much does it take to be happy? And Howard would go, um, he just like trying to find contentment in the second chair. He'd go, just a little more. Okay, Howard, I'm going to ask you again. Let me ask you in a year. Howard, what, is, what does it take to get happy? I mean, how much money? Okay, to be really happy, just a little more. Okay, Howard, you're living an illusion. You're, going to, you're just going to end up terribly disillusioned. You keep saying a little more, a little more, a little more, a little more. Do you see what's happening? It's like, is more ever enough? And most Americans are waiting for the circumstances to align right and for them to have the right possessions, therefore then to say, I am happy or I am content. Are you with me on this, you guys? Are you tracking with me on this? You know, William Marston years ago asked 3,000 people, what are you living for? And he was shocked to find that 94% were simply enduring the present while waiting for some future circumstance to arrive. So this is the chair that says, I can do all things by controlling my circumstances that strengthens me. But that is totally impossible. This is the chair of living an illusion where you're going to live, end up majorly disillusioned. Okay. Now, here's where we all are. This is the chair. We sit, our identity is in Christ. Can I hear a big amen, amen to that? It's like, okay, well, what are we talking about? Well, we're not talking about a self-sufficiency. We're talking about a God-sufficiency. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, Paul says, our sufficiency is from God. So a Christian says, I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Or as the Amplified Bible says, I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. Watch this, watch. So here's Paul, and he would say, okay, here's the key. Like, just like, think contentment. Okay, it, it starts out with who you know. It's very critical. It's not based on circumstances, your possessions. It's based on who you know. So it all has to do with your vertical reality in your life, like right relationship with God. And it's a learned process of your mind catching up with who you already are in God's eyes or in the Father's eyes in Christ. So it's like, okay, here's the key. It begins with right relationship with God. And for Paul, man, he had an incredible story. I mean, all of our stories are incredible. But you know, at one time, he was a terrible antagonist to anybody who believed that Jesus, Yeshua, was the Messiah. He persecuted Christians. He had to put them to death. 
He was a religious zealot. When Paul talks about, hey, I learned to be content, has nothing to do with disposition. I mean, Paul was a driven man. He was born screaming, and he got a Rhodes Scholarship to under the great rabbi in Jerusalem, Gamil. He was a young member of Sanhedrin. Okay, this guy's like, you know, he's a senator, so to speak. He's a senator in the United States, Congress at like 30. Okay, he's like, he's a, he's a stud. Okay, and he's super driven. And, and he's, a, he's like, sees himself as a part of a community that is a gatekeeper to Judaism. So you have these people who believe that Jesus is Messiah. He doesn't believe it. So what he's going to do, he's going to keep them out of the community. But not only that, he's going to persecute even put them to death. This guy is driven. This guy's driven so much he goes to Damascus. He's going to like persecute people outside of Jerusalem. And Jesus meets them and said, Paul, hey, isn't it difficult, buddy? You kick against, you're so driven, Paul, in the wrong direction. You're just kicking against the goads. You're kicking against what you know is right. So I love you so much. I'm going to humble you, boy. Okay? Because I love you. I'm going to rescue you from yourself. And this, this guy, he's not a disposition thing. Like contentment is not, I was holding my, my brother's son, who's four months, Matthew David Denham Jr. And he's four months and he just sits. He's the coolest cat. And his, his, his mother says, he's just a nice guy. You know, I mean, he, he's just so cool. He smiles. He just responsive. He doesn't say anything. He just hangs out. We think, okay, that's contentment. Contentment has nothing to do with disposition. That's to do really with making right decisions after decisions after decisions after decisions. Receiving who you are in Christ. Rejoicing, Lord. We're going to talk about how to get there in just a little bit. But Paul was driven, yet he would say that, look, this seat of contentment is based upon who I know, which is the Heavenly Father in the Messiah, and it has to do with making right decisions. And the byproduct of is that it is married to the hip of freedom. Paul, though he was behind bars, was actually totally free. And I just want to tell you, the spirit that indwells you in Christ is a spirit of freedom. Your identity and your sense of well-being is not to be dictated by your, the yo-yo existence. You have the Holy Spirit who is inside of you, who is arbitrating, who is a filter, who is like this computer program to helping to filter your thoughts. It's about what is true because the truth sets you free. And the Lord is all about us experiencing freedom. Look, you go back and look at how he delivered the children of Israel. There's one thing to get them out of Egypt, the house of bondage, which was quite a process, but that was the easiest part. It's a whole other thing to be free from a place of restriction to live in freedom. It was like one thing to get the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. It was a whole other thing to get Egypt out of the hearts of Israel. And the same principle is with us as well. I mean, here we are in America, man. I mean, it's like we're born free. It's another thing to live truly in freedom. Can I hear an amen to that? Because we tend to return to predictable behavior that has been kind of shaped over the years as an unbeliever. We, we choose what is nominal over what is new. For Paul, 
Look, he's just in this chair, man. He needs to go on end. I, I've learned to be content. It was a process. In other words, Christ came into my, I'm his boy, but my mind had to catch up with who I really am. I got, I got delivered out of Egypt, but now, man, I got, need to get Egypt out of me. I need, to, I need to think about what's true and who I am in my father's eyes because that's what reality is. I learned to be content, and, and I experienced freedom. In the first chapter of Philippians, he's like, to live is Christ, to die is what? Gain. And I'm free, man. So here's the thing. I'm free. I mean, I don't fear death. So here's the thing. It's like if I die, then I'm going to see the king's face. And not only that, but I'm going to see faces that I've already seen before because I've seen him come to know the Messiah of Israel. And if he has me here longer, then I pray he uses me. And people are coming to know the Lord in the emperor's compound. It's, it's, hey, look, it, it, it's a win-win. I'm just like, no, I'm free. And in chapter 4, he, he says another thing, basically. He's basically saying, you know what, man? I'm free from me. Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> yes, yay, yay. Yeah, free from the devil, yeah, but you know, I'm my worst enemy a lot of time. I'm free from me. It's like, where do you get that? We don't have time to develop it, but the Philippians gave Paul a gift. And he's just, he's basically saying, oh man, you're so blessed. Thank you. I'm so blessed. Thank you. I'm feeling so full. But I'm just telling you guys, it's, uh, I just want to tell you, I've learned to be content in whatever state. I'm really grateful that you gave me this gift. But I just want to tell you something. I want to turn it around real quick. Hey, God's going to supply your needs. God's going to supply your needs. So it's, it's like, why is he saying that? Because it's true. Another way he's, why he's saying it is because it's not about him. I'm just, I know you're going to be blessed. It's like, you're going to be blessed. You gave this gift. Thank you. I'm blessed. But I just want to tell you something. God's going to supply your needs. So I, I did, that blesses me that when the tide rises, all the boats rise, and the tide rises in Christ because we have his grace, and we all rise. And I'm just more fired up that the community is getting better and stronger as a result. Can I hear an amen to that? I don't know if that was the right time to call for an amen, but you know, there you go. Okay. So, anywho, look, he's like, I'm free, I'm free. And, and he's like, in 2 Timothy, he says, At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. I just think, whoa, Paul, it's like, you know, you're on trial. It's like, you're standing before the emperor, Nero, and you look back in the courtroom, and it's like, no one's there. Oh, actually, someone is there. Jesus is there. Jesus is in the room. The true king, who was declared to be the king by his resurrection. Oh, no, it's like, I, I'm comforted by that. You know what? I've just learned in whatever state I am, in the yo-yo of life, I've learned to be content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The question is, how do you learn to be content? What are the keys? There are seven, and we're going to be here till 1.30. There are seven. No, there are actually seven we're going to underscore, but we're going to underscore two this morning. Hey, point number one is you need to get a hold of your thought life. It's true. Look, in, in Philippians 4, Paul makes 16 references, directly or indirectly, to the mental process. In chapter 4, he's talking about the mind, the mind, the mind, the mind, the mind, the mind, the mind. 
So it's important that your mind is processing right information. It's important how you think. It's important what you remember. And in the more immediate context of Philippians 4, in verse 8, he's saying, look, you've got to fix your thoughts on specific subjects, like what's true, what's noble, what's just, what's pure, what's lovely. Look up here for a second. This is very important. And I, and I look out here and I see some beautiful younger people and, uh, and, uh, and, and uh, all kinds of ages and things. But I, I, want, I, want, I want the younger people to really listen to, to a second. Okay, so the moment you were conceived in your mother's womb, which is a miracle in and of itself, uh, it's so incredible to me. Uh, and the Lord began to fashion you, and he began to fashion your mind, gave you an incredible brain, which scientists say is the most complex mechanism in the entire universe. Once, watch this, once you are ink turned on, once God breathed life in you and developed just this hard drive of a brain, he gave you a soul. He gave you a mind that interfaces, interestingly, with the hard drive, so to speak, or you know, mixing metaphors, but it's like your brain is like this library and all this data and information has been stored, but your mind is separate from your brain. Your soul, your intellect, it's that part of you that makes choices, your, your emotional life. And, and the mind and the brain interface. So I don't know, you could say like the brain is like a big library, and you're, you're, you're forming in your womb, in the mother's womb, and you come out, and you're nurtured, and you're loved, and you hear your brothers and sisters' voices, and data, 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 information, information, all these books are starting to be developed in your brain of memory and things. Are you tracking with me on this, right? Okay, so, so here's the thing, is that your, your brain is, is, as I said, the most complex mechanism on planet Earth. It, it's regulating the most complex system in the universe, which is the human body. Your, nerve, your nervous system, it's processing information through your senses, even right now. I mean, really what's happening is, is that there's these, un, these, these, these uh, immaterial, intangible sounds that are bouncing around the room, but you are hearing them as words, and words carry meaning, and the meaning of these words are actually impacting you on a physiological level. And your brain is processing all of this, and it's releasing maybe cortisol or, or adrenaline or dopamine, or is that even, I don't know, I just made that one up, I think. Anyways, it's just like all of this stuff, it's just major regulation. Here's the thing, your brain is always on. Once the Lord turned it on, it's always processing, it's always processing even when you sleep. It is always on. Say, man, what is your point? Preacher, get to the point. Um, Don't count on your brain to edit and accurately interpret the information that is coming through your senses or in your life. Okay, the editing, the interpretation the Lord gives us wisdom to make right interpretation. Let me try to illustrate it, okay? All right, I have this dear friend. He's a PhD. He has many PhDs. I love him. He loves Jesus. And he helps people. He's a great counselor. And he, and he always used to talk about the donkey. You know, Greg, it's a donkey. You got to get a hold of the donkey. And I'm like, oh, donkey, donkey. You know, it's like, donkey, what are you talking about? Your brain is like a donkey. It's like a donkey. You learn that from getting a PhD. I mean, you know, yeah, you're like, I one time went in his office, he had like this little donkey there. You know, he just, I'm sure he would make reference to it, trying to help people. 
Okay, here's the thing. Your brain is like a donkey, okay? All right, I'm not trying to, I feel sorry for donkeys right now. But anyways, your, your brain is like a donkey and you better get on top of it. You better like whack, whack here, trek, trek there. I want you to go this direction. It's like, I've been to Israel many times. Hate to say this, but like driving down the Jordan Valley, watching these kids on their little donkeys, they're like, whack, whack. It's like, man, someone called the UN, man. It's injustice, you know. It's like, the thing is, I just want to tell you something. Don't count on your brain to edit the, the circumstance or to edit your thoughts properly or to uh, see the circumstances in your life properly. Your mind, with the help of the Holy Spirit, needs to be a major part of that. Major part. Otherwise, I've got to tell you something right now. Your, your, your brain is going to just take off in all kinds of crazy directions. And, you, and the point I wanted to make to the young people is you ought to expect that to a certain degree. You might wake up, and it's like your donkey's just going off in some crazy direction, driving down the road. You say, where did that thought come from and stuff? you got to get on top of it. Okay, I hope that is starting to make sense in a way. Or your brain is like a switchboard. It receives information. Okay, then what does the switchboard operator do? Okay, get some information through the senses. It, you know, a switchboard operator then, okay, transfers that information or interprets it, puts it in the right place. That is our mind at work. That is through the Holy Spirit who helps us do just that, and the stakes are very high. So, look, I, I just want you to get this. Look, you got to get a hold of your thought life. Okay, and just expect your brain to edit circumstances when it's like, like drawing from this incredible library because, because a sense of smell has triggered this memory or has triggered that trauma. And if you're not on top of it, applying what is true, it's going to be very, very difficult. Paul is just saying, I'll just loosely translate this. Man, I got to tell you something. I want you guys, I just want you guys to get on top of that donkey and you got to really, really, really force it to move in the direction that is honoring to God that gives you a much more uh, accurate picture of what reality is. And you can see, therefore, how important it is to be consistently downloading the Scriptures, how important it is in the morning. Church family, look, every morning, try to do this. Get up, get some coffee. If you drink coffee, have a time of prayer. Open the Scriptures. Read the Word of God. Be open to the Holy Spirit to bring an application. Let the Lord speak to you. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, man, my day is so much better when I start the day reading the Scriptures. How many of you ever heard that? Could you raise your hand? Seriously, raise your hand. Okay, well, I'll tell you one of the reasons I just, I totally believe it. Because what you've done is you have, you've just steered the donkey, if you will, you, you, by the help of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, it's kind of like the editing program, we have His help. You, your mind has been renewed. Therefore, you're viewing your circumstances through the lens of what is true. You're secure in your Father's love. Your sense of well-being is not dictated whether it's traffic or not. I mean, life is just so much better. Number two, we got to move through this quickly. Hey, number two, rejoice in Jesus, man. That's how do you learn to be content? Just a general, general idea, you got to get a hold of your thinking. That, that is like, 
the, the base rock. Number two, rejoice in Jesus, gratitude in your attitude. And, and this introduces us kind of to the law of contentment. Contentment is based on who you know and how you think. Isn't it interesting? Paul says in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. You guys get that, right? Why is he saying? Because we have a tendency to forget. I mean, there's some things that are a bummer to forget. I mean, you forget your keys. That's a bummer. You forget your iPhone. Major trauma. That's why I keep it very close to me. Right here. No, just thought of that. Right? Hey, man, the worst thing to forget is to rejoice in the Lord. I mean, it's like, here's the thing. I mean, we've all been there. We can even be in a fantastic setting like this, and, and we don't even activate. We don't even step into. I'm going to step into the greatest reality of all, which is the Lord is in the room. I mean, the thing is, is that if the heavens opened up, we would see, oh, my goodness, there's a sovereign. And around his throne is holy, 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 which is not some sterile terminology. It's like you are indescribable. There is no term that is sufficient to identify how incredible and beautiful you are. Right? So it's like holy, 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 holy. Three times. Times a billion. It's like this incredible three-peat in Hebrew means forever. Holy, 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 holy. Because holiness identifies all the incredible attributes of Almighty God. And here's, here's the thing, as Pete was saying, so beautiful, thank you, Pete. It's like the Lord wants to meet us in a place of worship. He does. That's where he meets us. It's like when our hearts go vertical and we step in. And, you know, think about it when we sing. It's like, you know, I don't have the best voice and stuff, you know, but it's like when we sing, it's like your body is involved. Your motions start to catch up, right? It's like the Lord wants to meet us there and bless us there in a place of beautiful worship. And Psalm 69.30 says, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. So in other words, it's like, Lord, golly, I just want to thank you for who you are. And I want to thank you that I'm your son. What ends up happening is he becomes magnified. He's already really big, but his bigness becomes magnified to our heart and we need that on a daily basis. Wouldn't you agree with that? Hey, mark this. I'm going to tell you something. One of the greatest ways to actually see reality for what it really is. You know, you get a flat tire, how do you interpret it? Is it God upset with me? Of course not. One of the greatest ways to see reality is to express gratitude, is to worship, is to rejoice in the Lord. Because what ends up happening is, watch this, just real quick. Rejoicing then leads to recognizing he's the source of my life. He's the source of my strength. He's the source of my blessings, which then leads to recognizing, oh my goodness, look what the Lord has given to me. Look how he's provided for me. Look, because he promises to supply our needs. I want to ask you, has there ever been a time in your life that the Lord has not supplied your needs? Sometimes we focus in on the product. We think, you know, I'm hungry, so okay, he can satisfy my needs through like an In-N-Out burger or something. But the reality is, is he might supply your needs through another way. And when you like rejoice, okay, it brings a recognition 
to your life, that He's the source, and then it sets you up to receive that, whoa, I mean, I was maybe thinking of an In-N-Out burger and stuff, but the reality is I got this killer burrito from Mr. Taco down the street. It was like, okay, it was awesome. The, the, the point is, is that what ends up happening is when we give thanks to the Lord and we rejoice in Him, what comes into focus is that He is the source of our strength for which He is. Oh, thank you, Lord. The recognition of His goodness, the recognition even of His provision already in our life. Sometimes the provision that He has given is right in front of us, but we don't recognize it. It's like the disciples, like, how are we going to feed these people? And it's like, Lord is like, here, I'm here. It's like the bread of life is right in front of you. And then it leads to, this is very important to contentment. We're almost done. Thanks for your patience. It's very important to just learn to relish and enjoy what God has given you. Because the truth is, if you got it, God gave it to you. You know, in context, Paul is in prison. Watch, just check this out. Epaphroditus has brought a gift from the Philippians. He says, you know, um, I want to thank you for this. But he thanks God for it. Because God is my source. Can I hear a big amen to that? No. God is for us. I got it. It's come from him. Came through the Philippians. Hey, thanks, you guys. I love you guys. Church family, you're awesome. But it actually came from my papa. And I, and I just want you to know, Father's going to supply your needs too. But it's like, man, I'm rejoicing. I'm saying, this came from Father. Thank you, Father. And I, just, and I just want you to know, Philippians, I've learned to be content. I mean, I was content before. I mean, I'm overflowing now. You gave me this killer gift and stuff like that. But rejoicing leads to recognizing, leads to receiving, leads to relishing. And just like, man, look what he's done. Look at like, the behind it all. He's provided for me. He's carried me. He's blessed me. Thank you, Lord. That is awesome. And, and, and listen, this means that learning to be content requires that you stop any when and then thinking in your life. It's like, you know, when I am... I don't know, 25, then I'll be happier. When I am married, then I'll be happier. When I have kids, then I'll be happy. Or when I have this car or that car, then I'll be happy. This type of thinking bypasses an essential reality of contentment, which is learning to appreciate what you have already been given. And if you don't learn to appreciate what you've already been given, you will not appreciate what you obtain in the future. And Paul is just like, man i got news for you. I've just learned to rejoice in the Lord. He supplies my need. He always has. And so it's like, I'm on this yo-yo. It's going down. So I was like, oh, my goodness. Hey, I am good because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He is the source of my strength. I am his boy. I have his love and his favor. And I'm going to rest and trust in him. I'm not going to be like the stoic guy and suck it up and try to live a discipline. Nothing wrong with a little discipline, by the way. We need to be disciplined. But it just says, and this, I don't, it's not, I can do all things through myself who strengthens me. And then I'm not going to wait for the right circumstance, the right possession. Forget the American dream. It's like, you know, no. It's like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the third thing, lastly, is that, and we're going to talk about this next week a little bit, but give yourself a present, the gift of the present. <laughs> In other words, man, learn to enjoy the goodness of God and his presence and others in the moment. Be in the moment. You cannot 
be in two places at once. And yet a lot of people are either in the past or in the future, but they are not in the present. So we're going to talk about this more next week, you guys. I want all of us to stand, and Peter Nalu can come on up. And I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing one more song. I want to thank you for your patience. It went a little long. But this is going to be a two-parter, so are you guys going to come back next week? Wait a second, hold on a second. <laughs> okay, watch this. Here's the pastor, the second seat right here. Okay, my contentment is based upon whether you come back next week. Okay, circumstances. <laughs> okay, trying to control it. Okay, no. Okay, I can do all things through Christ. Let, let's, let's pray. Father, you're a great Papa, and we love you, Lord. And, and we just pause here to thank you, Lord, for you, the source of our strength, the source of our gifting, the source of our life. Oh, my goodness. You have carried us. You have provided for us. You've heard our cries when our children are sick, grandchildren are sick. I mean, we could just go on and on and on and on. Um, and yet, we, and yet you've, and you've freed us from ourselves. We just thank you that continues to take place. Such a blessing. We want to thank you for that. We thank you for the freedom that is in Jesus Christ. And thank you that you hung, bled, gave your life on the cross, Lord. Paid the debt of our sin that frees us from the debt of our sin, the consequence of our sin, and frees us to live a life you intended for us, a life of freedom. And Lord, I just pray, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, I pray you would draw them to yourself. And I just want to say this while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Look, God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you enough not to leave you the way you are. He wants to give you something, namely himself. He wants a relationship with you. But you have to understand that outside of his son, outside of receiving Jesus Christ, you are separate from him. It's true. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, breakdown, separation. The greatest sin, the greatest sin in life is refusing the free gift of God's love, and relationship of the Father in His Son. He made you to know Him and have relationship with Him. Okay? And nothing will satisfy your life and heart because you were made to know Him and have a right, right relationship other than a right relationship with the one who made you. And when Jesus gave his life on the cross, I am telling you, it could be said with one hand, he reached up, he took the hand of the Father, and with the other, he reaches out to you. And he loves you. But, but, but listen, you have to respond to that, my friend. He will not force his love on you, he will not force his forgiveness on you, he won't force you to go to heaven. You must respond. You say, how do I do that? You must repent. You must repent of your sin. What does that mean? Turn from a self-centered life to a God-centered life. It's like, it's like making a U-turn in life. Jesus said there's a broad way that leads to destruction. Many go that way and there's a narrow way that leads to eternal life. You be that find it. Jesus said, I am that way and I am that truth and I am that life. You need to make a U-turn in life. You say, well, I don't know if I can do that. He'll give you the strength to do it if you're willing. He'll give you that strength. And you know, give yourself, my friend, the present, a present of the present moment because if you're sensing 
man, that's me. I'm not sure my sins are forgiven. I'm not sure really I'm right with God. I mean, I, 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 can't, I can't even begin to say I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because I'm not even sure Jesus Christ indwells me and I have right relationship with them. Hey, would you like to begin that journey? Because it really just begins with the first step of saying, Lord, come into my life, be my Savior, be my Lord, be my God. He really is just a prayer away. How many of you would say, you know, this morning, I want that to be settled in my life. And I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And, and, and church family, I just want you to be in an attitude of prayer, please. And if that's you, I want you to raise up your hand. I'm going to lead you in a word of prayer. You're thinking, man, I want to receive Christ. And I want to leave here knowing my sins are forgiven. If I had died, go down. I want that settled. If that is you, in these next few moments, raise up your hand. Let me pray for you. And by raising up your hand, you'd be saying, yes, I'd like to receive Christ. Just as last time, I'm going to make an appeal. That's you. You raise up your hand. I want to make sure an invitation's been given. So, Lord, I want to pray. If there is anyone here that doesn't know you, draw them to yourself. May it be today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.